Well, we are in the third part of our vision series here in the fall, which we do every fall. And today's the last part. We've been working through Nehemiah, and we've navigated our way through the first eight chapters. And today we're going to pick it up, chapter 9 through 13. So if you'd like to turn there, you can. And uh, we want to wish you a great holiday week, Thanksgiving week, and uh, hope you enjoy family and friends and a little turkey. You're going to have a little turkey this week, Robert, yourself? Oh, Probably not. That wasn't in our script. No, it wasn't. We're going to have um, the traditional uh, Thanksgiving meal of Salisbury steak, mashed potatoes, and green beans. That sounds fabulous. Yeah, that's my favorite meal that Donna makes. Yeah. How about you, Kevin? Are you going to be having any turkey? And, <laughs> I'm going to Arizona, and they're gonna, I'm just going to take whatever I get. Well, so, uh, I, brought some prickly, <laughs> I brought some prickly pear cactus candy home from Arizona yesterday. So that's what you're having for dessert on Thursday, yeah. prickly pear cactus candy. Oh, boy. Well, I think God has some things to say to us this morning. So let's think about that a little bit. We are dealing, we've been talking about uh, real life transformation. That is our vision here at Risen Life, that all of us would be conformed into the image of Christ and then last week we talked about our, our plan, our strategy to have that happen, that all of us need to connect and to grow and to serve and to reach. And as we do those things, we get transformed into the image of Christ. And today we're going to talk about real life multiplication. And as we consider that, we want to remember and be reminded that we really have a lot of things that God has to resource us with in order to be people who multiply. And so we're going to talk about needs and how God meets needs here today. We see real life multiplication as the natural result of real life transformation, connect, grow, serve, and reach being done rightly. If these things are done rightly, if there's genuine transformation going on in our lives, if we are genuinely connecting, growing, serving, and reaching with God's people, the result will be we're going to draw more people into that sphere of activity and there will be multiplication as a result of it. And in order to accomplish that, there are needs that will occur. But here's the reality. When we're doing God's work, man, he's already provided for it. Amen? It said in, in Psalm 127, 1, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who try at all. And what, God, what Nehemiah found was that before he even came to the king, God had already prepared the king's heart to meet the needs that Nehemiah didn't even know he had yet. He came into the king. And he was sad, and the king said, ah, what's, what's the problem? You've never been this way before. And so Nehemiah told him, it breaks my heart what's going on in the city where my fathers are buried. And the first thing the king said in Nehemiah 2.4, then the king said to me, what are you requesting? What do you want? How can I help? What can I do for you? He had already, God had already put it in the king's heart. What are you requesting? And so Nehemiah did the right thing before he opened his mouth, before he answered. It says, so I prayed to the God of heaven. He, he got that order right. Before he started giving his list, he prayed to make sure he had the right list in mind. You know, God cares more about this church than any of us ever possibly could. This is his bride, and uh, he wants to grow us. He has a plan for us. He is doing a great thing with us, and it is in and through him that we are everything that we are. Um, and so he is investing in this more in us. And that's why we call out to him in prayer, as we see in the, in the story of Nehemiah. The first thing Nehemiah did was pray, and let's be a people of prayer. Let's ask God to do great things in us. He's the one that's doing the work. 
And we want to pray. And we want to remind you again, like Wednesday night's a night where you can come and pray. And Jason Benson leads the ministry here on Wednesday night. But also just in small groups, community groups, and privately in our lives, let's be people who pray and ask God to do a great work among us. And this is what Nehemiah, he did. He prayed. Verse one, uh, Chapter 1, verse 11 said, Oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of men. And God had already prepared the heart of the king, as Robert said. Uh, God is the one who opens doors, and as we call out to him, we see God do marvelous things. And what a great thing that we get to serve the living God who's doing great things among us. Now look, God is the one who opens the doors. Think about it. God opened the door with Queen Esther going in to see the king. God opened the door with Paul being able to stand before King Agrippa. When, when we go through the list, God is the one who opened the doors. Joseph in Egypt all the way through. And that's why our, our witnessing plan here is pray and watch. Mm-hmm. Pray for your neighbors. Pray for those. If you don't have a pray and watch card, this is what we do. We have pray and watch cards in the back and out in the foyer. And on the back of it, we ask you to list five people that you're going to pray for on a regular basis. And then put those names on your refrigerator with the names toward the refrigerator so when they walk in, they don't see their name. <laughs> there, you know, but but it's, it says pray and watch on the other side. And then it reminds us to pray for them and then watch for opportunities because God is the one who opens the doors. All Nehemiah did was walk in with the genuine emotion of sadness on his heart about what was going on in Jerusalem. And God opened the door with the king asking the question, what's the problem here? Mm-hmm. And there's no telling what's going to happen when we when we enter life with a mentality and expectation of praying for our neighbors and watching intentionally, deliberately for opportunities to share the gospel with them. One of the needs that, was, that, that, that Nehemiah had was permission to go from the king. And uh, we read that in chapter 2, verse 5. He said, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you may send me to Judah to the city of my father's graves that I might rebuild it. And so he needed permission as one of the first needs is that God had needed to open a door for him. And the king indeed granted him. It says, and the king said to me, but the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had been given, when I gave him a time. And uh, here's God opening a door for him to go. And it reminds us, I think, a little bit. We see movement here amongst God's people. And it reminds us, really, a little bit of what church is like. This is one of the, the, the blessed things and one of the heartbreaking things of during church life together. God brings us new people regularly every Sunday. We have many guests here, and we're so thankful that God is adding to his kingdom here. But also, God moves people on. And that's hard. Um, we watch friends leave our church family, and, and it breaks our heart. Um, but this is God orchestrating his kingdom's work. He brings people as they're needed for a season, and then he moves them on to someplace else. They leave here, but there'll be a blessing wherever they're going. Uh, but we need to trust God with all of those changes and realize he's at work doing a good thing in us in and through all this transformation. And think about what Nehemiah was asking for. I want to go to the city of my father's graves and rebuild the wall, the defensive mechanism of a capital city of a defeated nation. And the king says, oh, okay, sounds good to me. We've already gone there and down there and defeated that town once, but sure, what the heck, knock yourself out. What is he asking for? This is amazing. And then the time to do it. When we compare a couple of passages in Nehemiah, Nehemiah 5 and Nehemiah 13, it looks like he was gone for like 12 years. Wow. Now look, 
here, here's one of our realities about real life multiplication. We wanted to plant churches out of this church. In the last five years, we planted four and helped with another six. And we want to do way more than that in the next however many years. But the reality is, it's easy to think, well, if I go with the church plant, then I'm there for the rest of my life. Nobody's anywhere for the rest of their lives. Nobody's anywhere for the... You can, if, you want, if you want to have a joke... Go to a church planners meeting, talk to the pastors about their church plant team because the vast majority of them have nearly none of their original team left. Yep. And what happens is we go on these church plants and, okay, I feel called to be a starter. I don't feel called to be a stayer, and we don't have permission for that. You have permission for that. You have permission to do what God has called you to do. If you're better at starting something than you are at staying with it, then go and be the best starter you possibly can and replace yourself with stayers so that when he calls you to the next place, you have replaced yourself. That's what we're talking about here. But the reality is we lose everybody. They mm -hmm. either move, they get mad and leave, or they die. Mm -hmm. You lose everybody. Mm -hmm. So what are we going to do with them while we have them? Yeah. We want to make it so the next place they go will look at this house and say, I am glad that person was at Risen Life. And this might be a good time just to remind us that as we send people out uh, to do church planning, that they need us to be with them. They need us to encourage them. They need us to strengthen them. Do you know our, our church planters? Do you get a chance to sit down and have coffee with them and encourage them? They are going through everything we're talking about and, and, and faster than we're going through it, right? You're talking about turnover in a church of this size, watch a church plant and how fast it moves there. And it can be really discouraging. So being people who uh, come along and encourage them, and, and they are blessed when they see new people, but at the same time, they see people move through and move out quickly. And so uh, one of the needs they have is just to be encouraged. Another need that we see with Nehemiah as we look at uh, his life in this story um, is they needed lumber. And uh, in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 8, it says, In a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make the beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. Um, and so he needed materials, and God blesses us with material things, too, that lets us do ministry. We're really blessed here with the facilities we have. Uh, he was given workers, Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 6. It said the people had a, a mind to work. And then it says in Nehemiah 7, 2, and Robert and I want to talk a little bit about this, is that Nehemiah actually replaced himself. And so when he moved on to do something else, uh, his brothers stepped up to take uh, leadership in, in the Jerusalem area. And so God gives us replacements. So when people do leave, God is already, and this is part of what we want to think about, God is already working on people to come behind us to carry on the ministry. And we want to make sure whenever we are doing ministry, we are thinking about that too. Now think about the blessing of the king gave him lumber to build. Look at what it says. He got beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple, for the wall of the city, and for what? For my own house. He built his house out of the king's lumber. Wow. That's amazing. That's how blessed Nehemiah was. And that's really how blessed we have been here. Mm -hmm. God has provided so much. But friends, in order to take this next step that we find in 7-2 of replacing ourselves... Nehemiah could easily have done the things that he asked them to do in 7-2. He could easily have been that guy, but he refused to do it because he determined to create a hole mm -hmm. so that someone else could step into mm -hmm. that need. Mm -hmm. He refused to do what he could do and determined to raise up people who would replace him. And as we look at 
As we look at everything that we've talked about the past few weeks about Nehemiah and all of the work that was done, all the people who were engaged, who do you want to be? Mm-hmm. Who do you want to be in this? Who, do you want to be Nehemiah who's in charge? Okay. Do you want to be one of the leaders who were named? Do you want to be one of the nameless multitude who was just numbered, friends? No matter what you, who you want to be, they are all needed. And it's easy to sit here. It's easy to sit here and think, well, what I do isn't that important. What you do is extremely important. Yes. And if there are four church plants out of this church, it's not because four people came to us and said, oh, I want to go plant a church. It's because your faithfulness over the years to just be here, to pray for the work, to be involved at whatever degree you are, that is what has made it possible. And you look at how many of them are referenced. So many of them are not named because the dozens, the work requires dozens who are named, and thousands who are not named, but without whom the work would fail, no matter what you do in this house. We need you replaced. Yeah. So as we look at the story of Nehemiah and all the people that are working to build the wall around the city of Jerusalem, where is your place? What is your uh, role here? And to step in, everybody is needed. Many are mentioned. All kinds of people, as Pastor Robert just said, weren't mentioned, but were needed in order to get the kingdom's work done. We need people who are just simply with us. What a blessing it is when people come into the church and go, how do I serve? How do I get going? How do I be a part of this? And you have to do a little bit of work. If you just sit and sort of wait for people to come to you, it might happen, but it just might not. And, and so you've got to kind of find your way and say, God, what do you want me to do here as part of this church family to help the work get done? And then, even as you get started, to remember that there's a day when you may not be doing that work that you're doing right there, and to begin to train and teach others to do the work you're doing, to begin to think about your replacement as soon as you start to work. I mean, Pastor Robert and I do this all the time, right? You, you watch us, we, we serve and preach and teach and do kinds of things, but you see all kinds of other people doing similar things to what we're doing here because we're thinking someday you may not want to pay us for the job we do when we're like 90, right? And, and maybe somebody younger might want to do it, right? And so we're always doing that and training up the next generation and working with them to replace ourselves so that the kingdom goes forward in the day that we're not here. And we all got to do this and think about this as we do the work here at Risen Life. So you got three kinds of people. You got starters, you got stayers, you got withers, people who are just with you. And friends, all three of them are needed. And no matter what it is that you do here, whether it's preaching, singing, leading a community group, leading a Sunday school group, helping with the, the sound or the overheads or the lights or cleaning the building or doing children's women's ministry, whatever it is, being the one who stands at the door, holds the door open, and greets people kindly when they come in. This morning they were all bald except me. If, if, <laughs> Kevin walks out and says, oh, we got the bald brigade out here. And I said, well, speak for yourself. But anyway... <laughs> Oh, well, all I do is answer the door. Do you realize that gatekeepers is listed in the, in the people who went back to help? Because every, everything is needed. So what is it that you do? Could you find someone of similar temperament, similar personality, similar gifts to what you have, similar interests to what you have, and just sit down with them and share with them? Ask them what they want to do for the kingdom and encourage them to do it for the sake of the kingdom, no matter where they find themselves planted. Yeah. 
So we want to encourage all of you again to, to find your place around the wall and then to think in terms of real life multiplication. Who are you training and teaching uh, to do the work you are currently doing? And, and I, I think about this a lot because it, it can be a little bit fearful, right? When you think about, oh, I got to find somebody that can also do the work I do and I might actually lose my job. Or uh, sending out church planners. We're multiplying them, training them up, sending them out, and a bunch of you go with them. Oh, we're losing a bunch of people. It can be a little bit of a frightening process. But the reality is, is there are so many people that need Jesus and so many people that need to be touched with the gospel and so many people that need to find a church home. You can send out 50 regularly and there's immediately 50, 100 more ready to come back in and be a part of what's going on at a church that's alive and multiplying. And so let's not be afraid of this. It's, it can be painful at times. We see people come and go, but God is doing a good thing and you get to meet new friends and new people and see the kingdom expanded and it's a good thing that God is doing with us. Now here's what's interesting. There's nothing new about this message. This is the same message that's been going for 2,000 years. This is the same message that they had hundreds of years prior to Nehemiah telling it to them. In chapter 9, here's, here's the bad news. Chapter 9 tells us mm -hmm. they had already been told this same thing hundreds of years prior, and they failed to do it. And so now Nehemiah's coming back and saying, okay, are we going to do this right the this second time? Friends... <laughs> We, this is the same message that Jesus has given from day one of the church. So there's nothing new about this. The only question is, are we going to step into this generation's responsibility to replace ourselves? Listen to what it says in verse 9. They came into the land centuries prior, verse 22, and you gave them kingdoms and peoples. They took possession of the land. Verse 23, you multiplied their children. You brought them into the land. Verse 24, you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land. They captured fortified cities. A rich land took possession of houses full of all good things. Cisterns, they were already hewn. Vineyards, olive orchards, and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. Mm -hmm. But here's the problem. Verse 26, nevertheless. This is the nevertheless of our nature. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their back and killed your prophets who had warned them. They became, in verse 27, therefore they became slaves who eventually cried out to God again. Here's God's nevertheless, verse 31. Mm -hmm. Nevertheless, in your great mercies, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and merciful mm -hmm. God. Yeah, so um, we've all been in this place where these people are, that they didn't obey God, they didn't walk in his ways, and um, they're suffering for it. That's why they had been in exile, and now they're coming back to rebuild. But it's a reminder that we have a God, no matter where we are, no matter where we've been, no matter what you've done this week, that he's inviting you back to experience his mercy and his grace and to get things right with him today. And uh, this is the message of Nehemiah, to come back and to re-up our commitments to him because of his love and his mercy. We talked about this last week. We don't just go and be people of good works, right? We'll run out of gas real fast doing that. But his mercies, that he loved us so much that he would send his son to die for our sins, that when we repent and believe in him, we are fully and freely and completely accepted by grace, apart from anything we do. And that love, rooted in our hearts, causes us to love God back and to love others and to get involved in serving him because of how merciful and good and amazing he's been to us. So what we have in chapters 9 and 10 
are the people saying, we recognize this is what has happened in the past. But in 10, uh, 28 through 39, this is a litany of the requirements of the covenant that we are going to live by. We are not going to do as our parents did. They did. Over in chapter 13, they, they blew it again. But they're, they're having a commitment right here. We're not going to worry about chapter 13 because we're in chapter 10 right now. We're just going to live chapter 10 today. We can't worry about next month, right? But we can deal with today. And so in there today, in chapter 10, they said, we're going, to, we're going to break this cycle of our parents. We're going to repent today, and we're going to live for him so that our kids do not have to clean up messes that we make in our generation, just like we are now having to clean up messes that our ancestors gave to us. You know, God told Saul, kill the Amalekites. He didn't do it. Who was the one who finished off Saul? It was an Amalekite. What you don't deal with will deal with you in the end. And David, the next generation, one of the first things he had to do was deal with the Amalekites. The Bible tells us in Deuteronomy 5, 9, that he will visit the iniquities of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation on those who hate him. Third and fourth generations. Foolishness is passed down. But in Deuteronomy 7, 9, know therefore that the Lord your God is God and faithful, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousandth generation. Listen, the, 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 the punishment may go to the third or fourth, the blessing goes mm -hmm. to the thousandth. And we can say, oh, I, I went through so much. Every one of us did. All of us went through foolishness. Mm -hmm. Would you be willing to say, I will be the sponge that absorbs the foolishness of my ancestors so my kids don't have to deal with all of that? Now, all of our kids are going to get to talk to their counselor about something, right? Mm -hmm. Just deal with it. Mm -hmm. But bless God, you're not going to deal with all of this nonsense. I'll absorb this and give you righteousness instead. Yeah. So I think this is a good moment to just stop and think because we've all been handed something from our uh, ancestors, right? We've been handed um, just a, a whole litany of things, some good and some not so good. I'm really blessed to be able to say as far back as I know, and I haven't studied it way far back, as far back as I know, I have devout Christians in my heritage and I don't know any in my heritage that I know of that aren't. And what a blessing to be handed. But that's also a big responsibility to be handed, to carry that on and to grow and build on that strong foundation. And I don't want to squander what they have given me by being the one that actually turned my back on the Lord. I want to be faithful to the end. But some of you have been handed something entirely different, right? Some of you have been handed, you're, you're a first-generation Christian in your family, and praise God that you are. And you are the ones that get to break the chain of the disobedience and rebellion against God and his ways. And you get to be one, as Pastor Robert said, that absorbs the sponge, that absorbs the suffering, the pain of the past, so that you now start a brand new cycle in your family, so that in your grandchildren and great-grandchildren look back, they say, as far as back as we can look, we know Christians. And that's the chance we have today. We can be difference makers in this generation by being people who honor God, whether we've been handed a Christian heritage or a non-Christian heritage. Let's be people that stand up today and say, we will be the ones who lay the foundation for our children and grandchildren to walk with the Lord. Now, that's the invitation he gives us. Let's look at how they did some of this in chapter 11. How they set out to protect and continue the work of God in their generation as well as continue it, continue through real-life multiplication into the next. Look at what it says in 11.1. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, 
while nine out of ten remained in the other towns. Look at that. Chapter one, wow. you have the leaders living in Jerusalem, and they said, everybody else, pick you one out of ten to come live with us. Come spend time with us. Come see how we do this. Come see how we live. Learn how to live a righteous lifestyle. We're going to train the next generation by living in community with them. And so they chose one out of ten. And that's what we've done here. That's what we've done at Risen Life. We have invited people who feel like God's called them to some form of church planting. Just come live with us. Come stay with us for a while and take the things you like and throw out the things that you don't like. It's okay. But come see how we do things. That's exactly what they're doing. And here's, here's the result of it in verse 2. The people we have had here who have gone out as church planters, they have experienced this same thing. It says, and the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. You guys have been a blessing to the church planters who have come. And all of those who have chosen to go with them, you've been a blessing to them. And we've been able to send them out with blessing. Because they came and they just made themselves a part of what was going on here, just like these folks did with Nehemiah. So I want you to hear, there's a strategy here that I think is super important, and it's a strategy we embrace. And if you pay attention kind of to what we're doing here, and you might even have questions about what we're doing, what are these crazy people doing here? This is our strategy, right? Come and be a part of us, right? And people come from all over the country to be a part of us here at this church. They don't know the Utah culture. They don't know the Utah people. Uh, they don't know maybe even much about church planting, but they're interested. And so they come and, and we start them by saying, just be with us and observe and learn. And we'll take you in, we'll make you a part of the staff, we'll, we'll let you learn and find uh, a place to serve, we'll let you try a lot of different things in your service. And in time, you'll get to know the Utah culture, you'll begin to learn how to reach people in this city, and you'll learn a ton about yourself in ministry. And then when you're ready, as you listen to God's call in your life, then we'll send you out. Okay, this is really different than sort of this educational model where you, and we're not, we're not against this, there's a time place for this, where you just go to seminary, learn a bunch of book knowledge, and then come back and go and give it a shot. This is quite different, right? There's a place for that. However, what we are, we're just very much an incarnational model. Come and be with us and learn and watch us, spend time with the staff, and then when you sense God's call developing in your heart, now you go. And I think you're well-equipped and well-prepared, having seen a whole lot of things and tried a lot of things, to, uh, gives you a greater chance of success here in, at Utah. Now, look, look there in chapter 11. Who are the ones who came to town? Who are the ones who lived with the leaders in Jerusalem and learned from them? In chapter 3, the chiefs of the province. Those are governmental leaders. Chapter 10, the priests. Those are church leaders. Chapter, verse, verse 15, I was saying chapter, wasn't I? 11, 3, 11, 10, 11, 15 is the Levites. Those are the community group leaders, the Sunday school teachers, the children's workers. Those are the ones who make it work, okay? Verse 19, the gatekeepers. Those are the greeters. They're just the greeters. And they came to live in town, find out how to do this. Verse 22, the overseers of the Levites. Those are the team leaders. And to make sure there were plenty of folks to get the work done, they did some they kind of cross-trained. Now, we were scared to use that term because of what cross-training can mean today. No medicine balls will be involved. I promise you that. They, they cross-pollinated because look in verse 36. And certain divisions of the Levites in Judah were assigned to Benjamin. Look, we want everybody to know how to do this thing. So we're going to get this outside of just this strict column of who is allowed to do this. 
And friends, it is the responsibility of leadership to make certain that real-life multiplication happens on every level of participation, and that is done by identify, equip, and release people to do the ministry that they have been called to do. That is what Nehemiah set up in chapter 11. So as we talk about our strategy to develop leaders and future church planners, we want that strategy to be employed across the organization, that whatever you're doing here at Risen Life, bring somebody with you, right? Impart your life to them. Show them what you do and how you do it so that this kingdom can be expanding. And then when they leave and there's a hole, someone else can be brought in, but they can go and be a blessing because they've been trained by you. Across the organization, whether it's one-year-olds or community group leaders, or greeters, gatekeepers in this case. Bring people with you. Expand the kingdom. Teach them to do well what you do so that the ministries can grow and multiply. We call real life multiplication. Now you might say to yourself, well, I don't even know how to begin with that. Well, one of the things that Pastor Robert and I talk a lot about is just sit down and have tea or coffee or in a coffee shop or whatever with somebody and talk to them about what has helped you get to where you are at in your Christian life. You're where you're at, and there's some reasons why you are where you're at. There's some disciplines or things that you have done that helped you grow as a Christian. You've got something to offer. Impart those things to that person. Spend time with them. Time with gives you this opportunity. And let them teach you what they have learned. And this way we impart to one another how to become better followers of Christ. And friends, that's all discipleship is. Just sharing with them what God's done in your heart. What has God done in your life? Receive that. And the simple reality is I cannot disciple everybody. I cannot disciple everyone in everything that they're going to go through. But as I build relationships with other people in the body, and I'm sitting with this person who has gone through this situation that I've not gone through, but I have met with someone else who has gone through that, now I can connect those people, and that is still the work of discipleship. And friends, here's you, here's you a real simple example of it. Don and I were very blessed in having children. We never had a miscarriage. Had five children, never had a miscarriage. We cannot speak to that out of understanding, out of experience. I have a sister who had six miscarriages. What can I do? I can send her to him. And friends, who do you know? What has God done in your heart where you have experienced his grace? How can you minister that? And who do you know who has experienced grace in that particular hurt you have not been through? And how can you connect them with someone else who is going through the same thing? Yes, this is so powerful. And I hope you will take the time, even this week now, to think about who am I imparting my life to? What do I have to offer? What has God used in my life to get me to where I'm at? And how can I impart that to others? Let's be multipliers. Everyone is called to be multipliers, not just the pastors. And all of us together bring something different and unique to people so that together we can be a whole. So you have something to do. If you're not doing your part, then there's a gap that needs to be filled. So please, let's think about it uh, this week. Now, as we come toward the end of this uh, book, and it's a beautiful thing, the wall is built and they begin to celebrate. Uh, they dedicate the wall and they celebrate all that God has done. And as we continue to challenge you week by week uh, and kind of move us ahead, I don't want us to ever miss that God has done so much <laughs> with us. He is changing lives in crazy cool ways all the time. And to notice that and to thank God for that and to 
rejoice in that. Let's be a people who don't miss the good things that God is doing in the present as we get frustrated with what he hasn't done yet and might be yet in the future. Let's be a people who celebrate the goodness of God. There is a tension that exists between what God has done, what he is doing, and what he's going to do. And while we always want to keep in mind what he is going to do, and Kevin and I constantly, God's constantly dealing with us and expanding who we are as people. One of the reasons we think we're so young, (laughs) really, we have a young mentality is because we're not done changing yet. I think as soon as you're done changing, you're dead. Whether you keep breathing or not, man, life has ended. And one of the most important things is to recognize the good things that God has done in balance with the amazing things he has ahead of us all the way, Philippians 1, 6, until the day of the Lord Jesus. He's not done with any of us as long as we are breathing. He has something else to work on us in. And the excitement of recognizing God's done good things, but he has good things ahead of us, and we're so thankful for that. And what a thrilling thing it is, isn't it? That God is constantly at work in our hearts. He's never through with us until the day of Christ. Don't you love that? The days that seem dark and hard for me and I'm wondering what is going on, I look at all the change God is doing in my life and that gives me hope and encouragement. He does not give up on us and he's doing things in your heart today. He's talking to you. He's speaking to you about how you need to grow today for our good and His glory and the blessing of walking with Him until the day of Christ Jesus. There's nothing short of eternity that's at stake for ourselves and for those around us who don't yet know Christ. This is the day He's given us life. We can be involved in the eternal things of the gospel and see people saved if we would just simply allow God to speak through us the gospel to them and to open our hearts to him and to let him use us and change us and to transform us so we become more of the people he wants us to be so that on that judgment day, we get to hear well done. See, eternity is at stake even as we listen this morning to the story of Nehemiah. So we have rejoicing for the past, but we also have in Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 30, purification. It says the priests and the Levites purified themselves and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. All the work that's been done, God, we set it aside. We just consecrated for you. We purify ourselves. We purify the work. And God, we ask you, would you please forgive us for the foolishness that's still in us? Reveal that to us in your time. He said in Philippians 3.15, if in anything you be otherwise minded, he will reveal that to you also. He's going to show us the foolishness that's in us. And the prayer of Nehemiah in chapter 12, verse 30 is, we want to be purified. So we have these two things, thankfulness and purification. Thankfulness for what has happened, purification for what is and what is going to happen also. So we thought today, kind of like the people of Nehemiah, uh, that he had them stand and commit to follow Christ and to honor him and to rejoice over the things that he had done. We thought we'd just do that in kind of a simple little way here this morning. So we would invite you, if if you are thankful for the things that God is doing and has done in you, and you can see that he has done a good work in you, say in the last five years, you can see you're a different person today because of his grace and his work in your heart than you were the last five years, would you just raise your hand? God, I am thankful for what you have done. Isn't that a great thing? Okay, you can put your hands down. And then how many of you want to say today, just like in Nehemiah's time, I am committing God to do your work and your continued transformation process in my life. I want this to be a day where I stand and go, I want to be all that you want me to be. I'm committing myself to you in the days ahead. Will you raise your hand this morning? Is that you? Yeah. 
Let's be those people. That's the story of Nehemiah. Let's walk in his grace. You know what? Here's the beautiful thing about Nehemiah. I, I just love the humanity of the Bible. But these are just folks. They're just folks. You know how he closes the book? <laughs> Very last words of Nehemiah. Last prayer of Nehemiah. 13:31, verse 13. Chapter 13, verse 31. Here it is. And remember me, O oh dear God, for good. Remember the good things I do. God, please remember me, dear God, for good. Isn't that a great prayer? We get to the end. God, I admit I've blown it so much. It's right after they've purified themselves. I, I, there's so much that needs to be purified. God, I confess that. But God, remember me, dear God, for good. Isn't that a wonderful prayer? Father, for everything that we've done, for everything that needs to continue to be done in us and through us, we ask you, dear God, please remember me, dear God, for good. So let's sing this song, God, you are good. Let's stand together and sing. Amazing love.